Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hey, I'm Scott Pipe. Hi, I'm Nick Percat. You are listening to Inside Supercars. For sure, I think if I get to drive more and more and more, uh, for sure, you know, I'm going to feel more comfortable. I nearly told him to calm down in the end. I'm like, mate, you're making me stressed. I'm stressed enough as is. In 2014, Chaz Mostert and Paul Morris won Bathurst. The race finished at almost 6.30 and 5.2 million people were watching at the end of that race. So a quarter of the Australian population watched Chaz win that race. That's a pretty you know, compelling figure to, to drop on anybody. <laughs> From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. And welcome to Inside Supercars with Craig Burrell and Tony Whitlock. Good evening. Good evening, Tony, and uh, looking forward to Winton this weekend as another another short track or shortish track. Indeed it is, although it was extended, of course, and famously in that uh, uh, when Dick Johnson would talk about uh, doing a marathon around the clothesline. But uh, yes, and, and of course, it's a very long-standing uh, track, uh, over 30 or so years consistently every year. I think they dropped one or two years back when they were playing funny buggers. But uh, it's certainly great to be going to a track where there's uh, a lot of great close racing. Yeah, indeed. And uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how uh, we'll have the match-up. Will it be a three-team battle? Will Techno be up there? Uh, you know, could we have... Uh, Brad Jones Racing dominate like they did last year. It's uh, plenty of questions to ask. All right. Now, this week's agenda is very, uh, very interesting one with the uh, demise of Adrian Burgess at Walkinshaw Racing, the signing of Lowndes to a new two-year contract at Triple Eight, and plenty of other things in and around the game. But first, I'll just briefly looking at Adrian Burgess. A surprising move. Uh, yes, I was surprised. We don't move engineers and, uh, sorry, team managers on all that often. They normally exit stage right at their own accord. Um, I'm thinking Steve Hallam at Techno. I don't think he was moved on from Walkinshaw, but that's what predicated the opening for Adrian Burgess. Um, of course, Burgess left Dick Johnson Racing to go to Triple Eight and then subsequently left Triple Eight to go to a Walkinshaw performance, but I'm really struggling to think in the modern era when a uh, high-profile team manager uh, was sacked. Uh, I, I remember what was it five or six years ago. There was a tremendous amount of speculation over the future for Tim Edwards um, at ProDrive uh, slash. Uh, Ford Performance Racing at the time, but uh, you know he he stayed the course and uh, managed to sell, uh, help David Richards sell the team to Rod Nash and uh, and Rusty French. Indeed, and secured his own long term employment there as well. Um, There's a good number of teams. I mean, you look at Chris Clark, who's a team manager uh, under the tutelage of both the Jones brothers. You look at um, Chris O'Toole at ProDrive, who's the team manager. And a lot of these guys have been there a good long time, certainly in the growth of their teams. Uh, Adrian, certainly his uh, departure was surprised because uh, while they had been declining and their certain performance is not good, he uh, had the credentials both uh, here in Australia and obviously uh, from Formula One to suggest that he would know how to eventually get the team turned around and heading in the right direction. But 
so much for, for those things. He uh, He's gone, and where he ends up will... Uh, anybody visit. Matt Nielsen is stepping in. Matt, of course, has been a 10-year-plus probably employee of Walkinshaw, been running recently the GT program, and, and he'll be taking over in light of somewhere down the line. Steve Hallam, of course, I think he was uh, moved on after he was internationally uh, sought out by uh, Ryan Walkinshaw from America. He was in the Toyota program there, which he's now gone back to, of course. Mm. So it's interesting to see uh, that Walkinshaw has now got a bit of a habit of moving people on after they've uh, gone and uh, captured them from other people. So, yeah. question mark. There is some question marks ahead, that's for sure. But, uh, well, will it make an immediate difference, Tony? That is the question that everyone's asking. And I... I don't know that it's like sacking a coach in football. Yeah, it's a little bit interesting to see. I mean, Courtney uh, has a mixed history at Winton. Scott Pye, I can't remember anything particular highlights there, but famously, of course, Courtney and Tanner came together a couple of years ago there. So, well, they've got uh, some things on their side. The fact it's a home track for them, so they should be able to dial in, get the cars going. So the second big news item for this week is, in fact, Craig Lowndes signing on for another two years at Triple Eight. Famously, of course, for uh, last year, he was moved into the third garage, so to speak, away from the two Red Bull cars with Shane coming, Shane Van Gisbergen coming aboard. Craig's got a fair old history now. He's been there since, I think, probably his 12th season. He'll have another two at the end of 19. He's 42 years old. It might be his last contract to the end of 19. It might be the time he'll say, that's enough. Because I have a suspicion, he said to me, and I think earlier this year we interviewed him, and he talks about it, that it's not going to be something he's going to keep on doing forever. Mm. The interesting thing, though, is he is the number one property for recognition, name recognition in Australia, and, you know, daylight literally and figuratively is second because the gap between Craig Lowndes' name recognition and the next person is so large. If he, if, if Supercars 1 don't do a huge um, uh, profile-building exercise on the rest of their field, there is going to be a massive holder fill in 2020 as... Uh, if he was to walk away then. Um, Interesting, I spoke to Roland Dane at the end of last year and uh, people who listened to the uh, summer series of Inside Supercars would have heard that Roland had always said the third car was built for Craig. He had no intention of running a third car, but for the fact that Craig had the ability to have sponsors lined up. There was a program there that was a first-rate program they could put together, and so that's why he did it. And I said to him, well, is there another driver you'd put in there? And he said, no. If Craig was to go, we would probably wrap up the third car. So that yeah. is that, that is why, in my mind, there was never a question about Craig signing or re-signing for Triple Eight. That was a foregone conclusion. If Craig wants to keep driving, he's going to keep driving at Triple Eight. And why would you move? It's still... The, uh, it's still one of the benchmark teams and it's still right up there for speed and certainly lack of mistakes. All right. And, of course, Craig joined Triple Eight in 05 and a year later was joined by Win Cup. Um, and, of course, the Lions share, although I'm never quite sure, the Lion, I think, usually takes everything. But anyway, <laughs> the Lions share of the winning has been done over the last 12 years by uh, Jamie Winkup, but... Craig still did go to the 
that lofted position of being the first driver in V8 supercar history to be uh, have 100 wins. So that's a place that he held, although Jamie is now joining there. Second item, or third item rather, on the agenda is the Winton this week. And uh, it's an it's a interesting one because we have, for the first time, uh, wild cards outside Bathurst. We haven't had them anywhere in the series for some years. And now uh, this weekend, more Corley Jones in the Brad Jones car and James Goulding in a Gary Rogers run car will join the main game, both of them, of course, in the new Car of the Future category uh, cars. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. So 28 cars on the grid, a 40 lap on Saturday and a 67 lap on Sunday. So all on the soft tyre. It'll be an interesting couple of races. Yeah, great to see the uh, supercars finally embracing the wild card idea. And I think this is going to be good for the sport. There's going to be, it's going to be good for the young drivers. And we can all remember back to the conversation that John Faulkner and uh, Brad Jones was having with us last week about getting more young blood, getting more young talent into the field, albeit most of them only running two races. But it's a, going to be a great opportunity to see. They've got a benchmark in Paul Dumbrell in the Super 2s. Well, here's what they can do on their own in the main game. And this could make or break some of these young drivers. It could possibly end some fringe dwellers in the, the main game series. Indeed, indeed. OK, and uh, we have no uh, Super 2 series this weekend, no Dunlop series. Um, but we have got the Kumo series joining in, so some young blood there coming along showing their wares. Wonderfully uh, news is that Mel Price is joining the Touring Car Masters. She hasn't been a regular in any race series for some years. She, of course, ran in the Castrol Cougars some time ago. She's got a daughter now, and so she's uh, not a mature lady, but she's certainly uh, moved on a long time from the young girl that she started out uh, back with Larry's team in the 90s. The other exciting news is Formula Ford back on the uh, schedule for uh, supercars for the first time since 2013. You thought? Yeah, indeed, and uh, it's great to see the Formula Fords back on the uh, on the big stage, and hopefully they'll they, I, they have been going gangbusters in uh, the national series, and I hope there is a good car count, and uh, there's always good racing. It is such a uh, a tightly controlled formula that it produces the best drivers at the front of the field and normally some nose-to-tail action. It's more a case of when you look through the supercars grid of those drivers who didn't do Formula Ford than those who did. I mean, it's quite extraordinary. There's a couple there like Lee Holdsworth and um, probably Michael Caruso. They didn't do a lot of Formula Ford, maybe one or two races only, but the rest of them, there's champions amongst them everywhere. Indeed, there is, and I'll be looking forward to seeing them back on the program. All right, well, that's uh, Inside Supercar today. We've got a treat in a couple of race engineers. We've got uh, Michael Stewart from the LDM crew. He uh, is engineering the number... Oh, gosh, I can't which number. Number three. Number three car uh, this weekend, and which is interesting because he's uh, got the uh, surprise of having maybe uh, Greg Murphy doing a few laps in that car. So we'll talk to him about that. And the other engineer we've got talking to today is Blake Smith, who's also had a very interesting start to his year. He's a long-time race engineer, been with uh, HRT and Techno and uh, DJR, won championships, won races, and uh, Blake Smith is now Simona Di Silvestro's engineer. So it'll be interesting to hear about his comments on what she says about driving these cars. So after the break, we'll come back with them.
Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Bet Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and we're unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm David Reynolds. And you're listening to Inside Supercars. And it's welcome to Blake Smith this week on Inside Supercars. Good evening, Blake. Good evening, guys. How are you going? Well, indeed. Well, indeed. So, Blake, you're the engineer on Silverna, Sil- Simona Di Silvestro's car. A very interesting job. Yeah, it has been a unique challenge this year. First time working with a rookie in this series and um, poses a whole heap of new challenges and new experiences for everyone involved. Okay, let's start out to uh, where you became interested in motorsport. How did you start in the program? Um, I started off probably as a young kid watching racing on TV with my dad and evolved from there like a lot of kids. Started off in go-karts when I was about 14 or 15 and then uh, worked my way through a bit of racing myself and then got involved in working for race teams after that. You did an engineering degree? Yeah, I um, studied material science and engineering and also did a few... Since then, I've done a few uh, diplomas of business and management and those sorts of things to help me develop some skills for my role. Okay. What was your first job? Uh, my first job in motorsport probably was uh, timekeeping at a go-kart track. And the reason for that was so I could get a free entry to the race uh, the next day so I could race myself. That's the way to do it. Yeah. And your first paid job then? My uh, first paid job was actually... Uh, in uh, Formula BMW, working in America, which is, funnily enough, one of the places that Simona went through uh, when, uh, on her career path. Oh, OK. <coughs> you didn't meet her then, though? No, she was a couple of years apart, but uh, yep. similar sort of faces in the paddock at that time. OK. Um, <laughs> but you only met her at the start of this year or late last year? Or... Oh, no, um, you interviewed her last year at Bathurst, didn't you? Yeah, so I was... Brought in by uh, the Nissan team to run the wildcard entry last year. Obviously, got to work with Simona and Renee at that, that point in time and you know, had a pretty good result for them in the 14th, I think. So, um, obviously, continued that relationship again this year and um, so, so far it's been reasonably positive. Blake, how, how has your role evolved over the course of this year working with Simona? Obviously, she's she started quite green with only the two races, but now... <coughs> Uh, we're into the first third of the championship. So how does your role with her change over that period as she gets more experience? Um, I think it's probably quite unique in the early stage where you know everything is a coaching exercise. It's like trying to judge how much information she can absorb at a, t- in a point in time. Um, a lot of it's coaching, like you know, just basic information about how to drive the car and how the event unfolds and what things that she needs to be prepared for, like just even training for the heat of Adelaide and things like that. Um, once you know, we're starting to get a bit of a roll on, we're finding some adjustments in the car, suiting her style, adjusting her style to suit the way the cars perform and the tyres, and um, you know, working quite uh, well from that. What do you see as the biggest challenge as you move through the rest of the season? I think the biggest challenge, obviously, each week for us is learning the circuit, how to race. So last week at Barbagallo, we learned all about tyre degradation. You know, Winton's not got that tyre deg, so it's going to be about how to, like, fight for position on those short, punchy circuits. So there's a new thing each week, and each circuit race is a bit different. So 
I think as we move forward up the grid, learning about how to race those experienced guys is going to get uh, interesting. Is it easier getting to the middle of the pack and getting towards that top 10 for her and and racing against other drivers? Well, she's got a lot of racing experience, you know, and she showed it, you know, Phillip Island, we are, I think we crossed the line six or whatever there, obviously we had a time penalty, but you know, she was able to race those experienced guys. I think she had a bit of a uh, battle with Scott McLaughlin in the Sunday race, so... Now, she's able to race those guys just to get into an experience level where we've got the pace to match them week in, week out. Because she brings uh, vast uh, open-wheeler experience, she has a different outlook on these cars, doesn't she? Yeah, it's quite <coughs> quite unique. Um, yeah, she first time she'd driven a, a car with a roof was really one of our cars. So, you know, for her, like, you know, just even getting used to the surroundings where you can't see or can't see the front tyres in the car to see what they're locking up and all those sorts of things is quite quite an experience. But to be honest, I've been really impressed with how quickly she's adapt, how quickly she can uh, you know learn about the style of driving and how she quickly she takes on the information. There's never been a question in my mind that you know she will get to speed and she'll be a, maybe not a regular, but she'll certainly be more than one once or twice in the top ten before the end of this year. Because I mean, someone who gets on a podium in supercar in um, Indy cars. I mean, clearly has great driver experience. Yeah, I think she's definitely got the depth to draw on. She's battled some uh, the big names in motorsport internationally. And um, obviously she's shown already she's got some, some ability in this category. Now we qualified inside the top 15. Now she's bound to perform well at times. So we've just got to put it all together. At the moment, we're making too many little mistakes. And you can't get away with that in this category. But that's all part of the learning experience. And that's a good thing that it's a multi-year program. We get to uh, take those steps forwards. I think I'll stand corrected. I think she's also the, the best international rookie we've had. So sort of stand, shows like the depth of uh, talent she's bringing to the field. That, that is uh, an interesting look at it, isn't it? When we look at uh, the calibre of drivers like Max Wilson and Alex Premer, and, you know, I mean, these are all people who've done things internationally, and yet they did struggle in their first years. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah I've been quite impressed with her performance in that respect, you know, taking, hasn't made many rookie errors either. And I think we've had one or two offs in the, the entire time, so she's taking it very steady and knows that getting the laps to, under her belt are the important thing. You've got experience in, in a number of teams, a number of very fast teams in DJR and HRT in the last few years. Um, how different, it was last year was your first experience on the Nissans? Yeah, last year was my first experience with the Nissan. Um, obviously, you know, pretty good group of guys have worked with some of the people here before. Um, they're a pretty well uh, set out team. I was quite impressed with their facility. Obviously the car aero package is a little bit different and you know, there's a few little quirks to that. But um, it's a really good package and obviously a little bit of development. I'm sure that we can be uh, right at the front competitive with it. Had, had to be a, a mindset change for you engineering them because of those different packaging? Um, I think understanding the works of the car and then we uh, obviously develop our, our setup around those things so you saw you know, a little bit that's also dealing with you know driver tr- styles and traits so obviously Simone will be working at things we did a first step you know the first test day we did a bit of development and then we worked some more things at Phillip Island and then again it, we sh- saw how the performance improved at Perth obviously we struggled in the races with uh, the high deck but we could see that the lap time actually was there with those developments to suit driving style and the car package as a whole. And this weekend, of course, is a very big one because it's the first track that she's been at multiple times. Yeah, um, so 
sort of got a bit of a head start for us this weekend. We can go out uh, the first session knowing the circuit, so that's a good start. Yep. <coughs> We've also got our co-drivers get to have a run and warm the car up for us. That's also another advantage. Yep. So hopefully we uh, go all right. Winter's a tough track. Obviously the weather conditions uh, in terms of the temperature throughout the year play uh, quite a big role on the performance of the circuit. And it's pretty tight there normally. So we'll just see how we go. It's a lot of complicated, very technical circuit with a lot of corners. Spend a lot of time cornering there. So we'll just see how we end up. But we've, uh, hopefully we've uh, got a bit of a head start compared to other events because we've been there before. Blake, you, you um, over the course of the weekend, we, we always hear about the data that drivers and engineers churn through and the amount of, uh, you know, the amount of information you have at your fingertips is, is absolutely staggering. How much, how many hours over the course of the weekend are you working on components on the car compared to how much you're studying and trying to look and understand data? Um, generally, so say roughly we've got the four days of, of a race weekend, so roughly we'll do probably 72 hours work over those four days as a rough sort of number. Um, we'll break that up between the actual running on track, so that might be you know four or five hours. Some of that's a preparation time and just setting up the garages and you know track walks, you know, getting everything prepared. And then he's probably split the remainder of it is an analysis of any new components we've got on the car in terms of you know, they might have something new, make sure that it's uh, reliable, all those sorts of things. But the bulk of it, probably 80% of that time is spent just analysing the data, the driver feedback, working with our performance and data engineers to try and uh, optimise the car and is make uh, improvements for the next session. Is the balance of data and driver feedback correct in your mind? Um, I'm an engineer and I'd love to have more tools in the toolbox so we can play with them and have all, you know, it's like getting a new uh, toy as a kid, but we've got to be realistic about what the, the sport's about and um, where we need to be. I think, to be honest, it's a pretty good balance at the moment. You know, we've got just enough that we can keep uh, the high technical level. We're a pretty high technical series, but we're not over the top to a level of, you know, where it dominates it, you know, drivers drive a major say and a major um, influence on the performance of the vehicle. Mm. Engineering the car... One of the biggest adjustments Car of the Future has provided is that you've now got a whole back-end geometry that you can play with. When you had a nine-inch diff in the back, there's only so much you can do with it. But now that you've got independent rear end and all the adjustments there, how much more difficult does that make your work, I guess, is the question I'm asking. Well, I guess it's the same you know, amount for everyone. You know, we've got a lot more variation, probably a little bit more freedom there. Also, it's got a few simple advantages to it. So to be honest, I think it's probably the same. We may maybe we focus on that more than what we focused on that before, but it probably you know, there's only so much energy you've got to expend in the weekend. So I don't think it's a, like you know obviously it's made a difference for different people. You can skin the cat differently now, shakes up the field a little bit. But at the end of the day, you know it's just another tool in that toolbox. You were at HRT when there was a four car team there. Uh, yes. Um, so being in the situation where you are now. Does it make a, a big difference when there are, you know, four drivers, four engineers, four data engineers, the team management? You know, it's a lot of people in a room. Yeah, it's um, lots, uh, you know, it's a pretty big undertaking to operate that many people. It's a big, you know, to manage that, that many staff and just the logistics of everything and communication between all those, making sure you've got enough equipment and people and everything pulling in the right direction is quite an undertaking. You know, it's not uh, what to be scoffed at, so... Now, it's obviously a lot of hard work, but uh, Nissan seems to handle it pretty well. And you see, obviously, on the performance on the track that all their four cars are generally reasonably close. So, obviously, you know, they've uh, got pretty good facility here, probably one of the best in the country. 
And um, I think that is, you know, all the people that work here are a testament to the performance on that and how well and smooth things go, the reliability-wise. You, you've been at three teams, in fact, now that are fully self-contained in terms of engine programs and um, composites and everything. And do you see that as a real benefit? Um, yeah, I think so. I think, you know, especially when you're doing, for these guys, when you're doing four cars, the economy is at scale, work out a lot better. When you're a single-car team, potentially you're better off uh, trying to tag on to someone else to get some components that way because simply p- covering the costs of the infrastructure for manufacturing isn't there. With the four cars, I think it's a much better uh, a model for doing your own um, construction and things like that and supplying, even supplying to other teams. And one of the last things I wanted to ask you about was this year's series, we've gone back to the shorter races, two, two format race weekends where there used to be three or four. Um, are you enjoying that more? I thought you know, our series works really well with the pit stop races. I like the, the fuel strategy that is brought in in the longer Sunday race. So, you know, you've got opportunities where guys are long fuel or short fuel and, you know, it all comes together at the end. So I find that quite interesting. poses a new challenge for the, the engineers. You've got to manage your driver and they understand how they are in the field and where they are in the order. Obviously, safety car can play a big factor in that. So I find that quite interesting. And obviously the Saturday races now, you know, it's all, all down to the pit crew punching out that uh, that fast stop. And obviously we've got our uh, the competition for that this year as well. So I find that's, you know, another another aspect to it. So I think the formats this year are not too bad, you know. We've changed it up a few recently, but I think the two, uh, the, the, let's say medium and the long race that we run now, Saturday and Sunday, I think that's a pretty flat for the weekend. Right, and of course uh, soft tyre, so um, it's one that you're well, well versed in this weekend. Yeah, we're under the uh, super soft I think it is this weekend. Oh, right. So it's the one, same one we were at the Grand Prix and we ran at uh, Tasmania. Yep. So, uh, yeah, so, we've, you know, we've had a couple of runs on that tyre now. Um, so, yeah, it'll be uh, reasonably under control. Well, Blake, we uh, greatly appreciate your time and uh, look forward to catching up uh, this weekend at Winton. Hope the weather is uh, kind. Uh, I'm not even, I haven't even looked at a forecast of you. Yeah, we're potentially we're going to be a little bit wet on Friday during the practice and uh, might need to bring up the umbrellas on Saturday by the look of it, so that might make for some interesting time, so see how it all plays out. All right, well, we look forward to catching up. Thanks so much, Blake Smith. Likewise, thank you very much. After this break, we'll be talking with Michael Stewart of LDM, who engineers the number three car down there, coming up next. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to um, take the win off him. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Rapsodata family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hi, I'm Nick Percat. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. We're joining Craig Ravel and myself, Tony Whitlock. This uh, time is Michael Stewart from LDM. Good evening. Hey guys, how are we? Well indeed, well indeed. You're looking forward to another big weekend in the uh, centre of Victoria? Yeah, absolutely. We've got the, uh, got the umbrellas packed again. So this should make for a little bit more fun once again. <laughs> you would have been there a few times, I imagine, uh, Michael. 
many, many times over the journey. Um, anyone who's worked for a Victorian team, uh, not just at supercars, but, but at any level of motorsport, would have spent lots of time there. Um, yeah. And had a place well. So when did you get involved in motorsport for the first time? Uh, first time would have been sort of uh, probably around 96, originally with a sports sedan team. Um, I was only uh, probably 15 or 16 years old at the time, and yeah, uh, the boss I worked for just bought a sports sedan and then uh, went on to work for the guy who built that originally. Um, he was running a, a privateer team for Thomas Mazier at the time, so yeah, progressed progressed this into the touring cars and, and That's him, yep. From Derek's moved on to Harry Perkins just around the corner. Um, He was at Perkins for quite some time as a fabricator. Uh, And then then from there, Matthew White Motorsport and and then Les Smalls for the the majority of the last decade. Right, okay. So plenty of different cars over the journey, but yeah, many, many trips out to Winton, that's for sure. So your qualifications to work in motorsport, they started where? Uh, I started at Motorsport Engineering with Derek Van Zelm uh, as a fabricator, um, and then I honed those skills at Perkins, where I went on to run the fab shop for a while there. Um, but then post Perkins, I went to university to study mechanical engineering, um, having had this sort of blue collar hands-on experience. Uh, decided to get the technical background as well, so um, it's probably not the normal path um, doing the university degree after, but yeah. Um, a bit of both. Well, I imagine it uh, in some ways made it easier because you could automatically translate what you were learning into directly into what you were doing. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it all sort of made a bit more sense. Um, the language wasn't foreign to begin with. Um, you'd seen the practical side of it. You would have seen you know, failures and, and things like that. So, um, And at the, the uh, sort of pinnacle of motorsport as well, you'd already seen the design, so... Um, there were some things I never quite understood, and, and then the engineering degree made it all make sense. But and, um, there were some things the other way around. We, we, I guess, a few topics students take a while to get their head around, and, and for myself, I'd seen it all a bit more hands-on so many, you, many times over. You've been involved with the old EM for a little bit through Les Smalls. Yeah, through Les. I've known Lucas for a while, um, and uh, we've, we've outsourced some fabricating and engineering Um and this year round, you know, Tim Newton as well, who's the head of engineering there now, the team manager. Uh, so Liz is, Liz is doing a little bit with dampers and choppers for them. And uh, and it sort of worked out well for for all of us that, that I turned up there as well to, to help with the race engineering on the weekends for the second car. Right, OK. People see that uh, Lucas's team is a young team and it's probably not as young in the experience that they've got in the background as what is perhaps made out or what people appreciate. Yeah, it is. There's uh, definitely the resources are written down on some of the other teams and, and the money they spend. Uh, full-time people at the workshop is, is a lot less than what you'd see in a lot of other places. Um, and he definitely gives a start to a lot of to a lot of young people in the industry. Um, he, he definitely forms a lot of relationships with, with people early and, and he's been around for a while himself, Lucas, and he's quite... Uh, Quite involved on a day-to-day basis, he's always there. But but there are people that are that are not full-time necessarily at the LDM workshop. But there's um yeah, there's a lot more people involved. I mean, right down to the, to the truck driver and a lot of people there that have been around for, for many decades in the industry. So there's plenty of experience to draw on. That's for sure. And uh, tell me, uh, this weekend you've got something different in that Greg Murphy's getting in the car. 
Greg Murphy is getting in the car right here. Yeah, he's um he's been helping out a little bit, mentoring Alex throughout the year. Um, and yeah, and that help. There's there's now an opportunity over the weekend to sort of drop him in. Um, it'll probably benefit Alex plenty, and and it sort of works out well for the coverage as well. So I think I think he's already mentioned that he's not looking for <laughs> to sort of claim the other seat at any stage or for, yeah, not not for any zero drives, but. But yeah, the opportunity was there, so it works out well for, for all, um, and that, that'll be great. I'm really looking forward to it. And give Alex a little bit of a measure to back-to-back himself with. Um, it's probably been one of the, the difficulties for young Alex this year is uh, once the charter deal fell through at the start of the year, um, it's been a little bit hard for Alex to get a consistent teammate or um, someone who can really help out with over a long period of time. Um, Matthew Bradham on the weekend actually was... Coming from a sort of different background was a lot of help to Alex, and I know he was quite uh, thankful for all the help that Maddie put in over the weekend. But well, I think it's that, that thing, isn't it? For a couple of rounds. So when you're showing somebody on. else, there's a great learning curve happening when you are, you know, giving when he'd be giving Matt some feedback on it. Yeah, I guess Taz, Taz has been Taz has been great as well uh, over the last few rounds. But I guess with Matt, it was a it was a completely different learning curve for him, and then and then some of the tricks he knew from from a very broad resume that you wouldn't find for a lot of 23 year olds in pit lane, for sure. Um, it was quite beneficial for Alex, and I know uh, those two got along really well. And uh, Alex was yeah, he was talking it up a lot at the end of the weekend. He found it quite helpful. So hopefully, hopefully, Greg getting in the car on the weekend uh, continues that. Given where you've come from, working with young drivers hasn't been something you did a lot of, or I suppose there was that period when um, Jack and, um, oh gosh, I can't remember his name now. Shane Price, it's, isn't it? Yeah, Shane Price, yeah. yeah. Shane Price and Jack. I think they they started with the Jack Daniels car just as I left Larry's, but I'd, I'd known Jack for a long time. But Right. I mean, there were younger drivers come through before then, um, definitely at Larry's as well. I remember... Uh, a young Fabian Coulthard coming in to do a bit of work experience before he had a, a full-time tin top drive at any stage, and, and I think that would have been people people forget, but I think Alex would have maybe <laughs> probably been in diapers at the same year. So, I mean, that's the sort of head start some of these guys have on Alex. Um, yes, yeah, plenty of young blokes over the journey. Um, so you've seen plenty, um, but then we've also had. Some of the stalwarts as well, with, with your Longhursts, your Jim Richards, Larry, um, Russell. So, and quite an experience with, with many of them. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, so this weekend, at least, it's a track that Alex knows quite well, and you've obviously tested on it at least once or twice. Yeah, Alex does know the track. It's been handy. Um, obviously, the, the Dunlop series and the Timo series have, have always raced there as well. Um, it has been the home test track for to Dumbrell, so it's probably one of the tracks we've got the most data on and, and most knowledge on. So we go in there knowing that we're probably a little bit a little bit closer than some of the other tracks. Um, it's just a, it's a long road to bridging that gap. Um, the cars have got some pretty good race pace. We just probably struggle a little bit with that one lap qualifying. And once you start off the rear of the grid, it makes it a little bit more difficult. Um, obviously, with Alex and, and debutants like Matthew, that's always going to be a little bit more difficult, but we're confident that we're sort of unlocking some pace, and, and Alex is getting better in his role, so we know what we're trying to achieve, and, and we're just going to keep, keep chipping it away at it, and hopefully that yeah, some of the bad luck we've been having eventually swings around the other way. It's just about making sure you have, I guess, all your ducks in a line, so when the opportunity presents, you can, you can capitalise on it. And that's, 
that's all we're focusing on right now is we sort of realistic expectations about where we are at, but also focusing on what we want to achieve. So this weekend should be a good opportunity. And uh, a few other cars in the field as well this weekend, from what I understand. So it'll be good to see. We might, might, might find ourselves getting involved in a bit of a car race, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Just looking at that, um, the in what you're trying to achieve, and what are your expectations? I mean, do you have a, a, a top 15 by the time you get to Sandown, or... Do you have a, a realistic expectation on what you can achieve with Alex? Uh, as a team or as an engineering group, I don't think we've spoken about a, a specific number or a position. I mean, the team itself has, um, has varied in the past as far as, as results. I mean, they had the, the great Klitzel win at the start of last year and, a, and another podium at Bathurst. So we know that uh, it is capable to... You know, to be up there in some of the longer races this year and sort of stick to it and, and, like I say, make sure the race pace and the car's good over those longer distance runs. So we just want to make sure that we keep, I guess, chipping away. Our performance indicators are probably not necessarily a, a position. It's more about, you know, when, when other people will have their down days, we've just got to make sure we're not having them as well. And unfortunately, yeah. times like Tasmania, both cars getting caught up in, in that incident and then, you know, a couple of tyres at the island Things like that don't help, so yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll get a run soon and, and we'll show that, yeah, we'll probably get a bit more of a, a result that's indicative, I think, of all the hard work everyone's been putting in there. Tim, Tim running the show now has got plenty of experience and Lucas himself. Um, there's a couple of uh, Vinny there as well, so there's, a, there's, a, there's plenty of experience getting around the place. Um, there is opportunities for young people there. Lucas has always done that. Um, and if you wander down pit lane, the number of people that have, that have got a start at LDM at some stage... Um, they're everywhere so um, in, in one sense it's actually it keeps the uh, the mood upbeat there it's, uh, it's quite a fun place to be at so they're always smiling and giggling and, and the music playing late at night they might be the first team there in the morning and the last team there at the track at night but they, uh, they keep the smiles on the faces that's for sure so it's it's almost been a bit refreshing to be there as opposed to in the past some of the more intense teams up the top of the order uh, right. they're constantly worried about making the smallest of errors because you've got a championship on the line and Lucas is, like I say, our, our performance indicators are slightly different. So internally the team's making sure they're enjoying themselves and, and you get a lot of enthusiasm from the new people there. So it's been good. Um, this season we've seen a return to longer races, um, both the Saturday and Sunday races, going from three or four race weekends to two race weekends again. Uh, how's that suited you? Do you, you know, is that more to your liking? Um, I'm not too stressed. Just gonna leave the old headset on for a little bit longer in the garage, that's for sure. Other than that, um, I suppose if you are off the back of the grid, the shorter tracks like Tasmania and Perth hurt a little bit. I mean, that your, your time down pit lane is, is such a high percentage of a lap time that, that over the longer distance runs, you sort of you don't have as many other as options as you, you would at other tracks. So you sort of up the holding out as long as you can. Um, we had a bit of an issue with a tyre in that last race at Perth for Matty Brabham. So, unfortunately, an early stop sees you pretty much lap straight away, which, uh, which makes it difficult for the day. Um, but the cars themselves, when we found ourselves uh, in amongst the field, have, have had pretty good race pace. So, for us, we're fine with it. We just haven't seen a safety car for a little bit. So, occasionally, <laughs> occasionally they're handy for, for some of the teams up the back. But, uh, yeah, no, it doesn't. I don't think it really makes too big a difference. You you, um, you play the game that's put up, so longer races or shorter races, whatever it may be, we'll you know, 
One of the things that um, young drivers quite often have is not necessarily lack of endurance, but it's just that hard sort of uh, having to grind on that little bit further. Was was Adelaide a really big intro for, for Alex? Uh, I actually wasn't at Adelaide. So oh, of course. Right. Too, but from what I understand, he, he wasn't too bad. He um, He's fairly fit. He's probably a bit different than how it used to be. Um, with, with some of the guys getting in and out of the car, they're all coming in very quick nowadays. And, yeah. And there's not much to Alex. Um, because of, well, that was one of the things, of course. Steve Owen was fit. Um, his problem was that he lacked water and lacked any uh, any real meat on him, so that uh, you know he nearly became the first driver cooked in a, in a supercar. Yeah, and Taz, I think, the same when the, when the cool vest failed yes. on him at, at, Tasmania, at Adelaide, from what I understand. But, but it makes it very difficult. But, I mean, if, if your venting's working and your, your cool vest is working, and admittedly we don't have cars that are, that are set up right on the edge, um, we're, we're trying to sort of supply Alex with a comfy car for now. Um, he's got a lot of learning to do over the season. It's one of the things we're trying to achieve, make sure that he learns the most he can. Um, so... We're making sure they're fairly comfortable for him as well. Um, but he's been doing a really good job. He, he gets out of the car in a good condition, and, and at the end of the day, he looks after himself. So, well, I don't yeah. think that the uh, heat's going to be one of your uh, worries this weekend. No, no, it's not. And, and Alex, being, <laughs> Alex being a Perth boy, quarter <laughs> and bread, he's, he's probably going to worry more about the puddles. Yeah, yeah, and it'll be, it'll be it's sort of saying, where's my jumper, you know, sort of thing. Yeah. Well, uh, Michael Stewart, we thank you of LDM. We thank you very much for your time on Inside Supercars this week. Hope that no you worries. have a uh, good, strong weekend. Stop in and say good day. We shall indeed. Thank you very much, Michael. Thanks for your time, guys. Thank you, sir. And thank you, Michael Stewart. That's interesting to hear about life on the uh, trail of LDM and the way in which that young team is still evolving and developing. And we'll be going to our final thoughts on this side, Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. And, you know, every, every year I see Jackie Stewart at the Grand Prix and I just remind myself of, of his part in, in starting the, the path to safer cars. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Jack Brabham certainly left his mark, not only on Australian motorsport, but motorsport all around the world. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. And this week on Inside Supercars, our final thoughts. First of all, mine, Craig... It's every year since 1994 when I've covered the series, we talk about the closeness. Every year it's getting closer and closer. Well, an extraordinary number this year. 31 points covers the top five drivers in the championship. That's the closest it's been since they went to 300 points per round in 2008. So in the last nine years, that's the closest it's been. At this time of the year, 31 points over five drivers after four events. It's quite extraordinary how close it gets. It is uh, my final thought, Tony. It harkens back to Brad Jones, uh, who was talking about some own goals that supercars have scored over the last few months. And I'm going to put another own goal up if it does go ahead. The supercars 5,000 open wheelers have been announced that they're going to be racing in 2018. Of course, Chris Lambden has been building the Formula Thunder 5,000s up. He's got a working prototype out on the track. It's... Uh, interesting to see that there potentially could be two F5000-style racing series in Australia. Of course, 
Chris Lambden's in that unfortunate position that if he was the only one and everyone was working together, he'd probably have 12 to 15 cars ordered already. At the moment, everyone's hanging off to see which way it goes, and with supercars deciding to uh, go their own way with an open-wheeler series, it's potentially uh, going to just uh, cruel both opportunities here. So, Tony, as we, as we know, IRL card, uh, super touring and supercars in Australia, um, you can't have two competing headliners like that uh, going at it for very long. One falls over and, and sometimes the damage to both is irreparable. You really have to question uh, the person who's made the decision to say, yes, we should look at developing our own Formula 5000 categories when it would have been known so well what Chris Lambden was doing. And there's only been great accolades for Chris on what he's developed there. So let's hope it all clears up very soon. And, and so it comes to another end of Inside Supercars. Thank you, Craig, and good evening. Good evening. From Tony Whitlock. And good night from him. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.